can have a seat. You know the routine, you've got some device that's not working, maybe it's your phone, maybe it's your tablet, maybe it's your laptop, your desktop, I don't know, it's just locked up, things are not working right, won't connect to the internet, whatever it is, and so you work with it for a while, get frustrated, finally call tech support, right? And they talk to you a couple minutes, ask a few questions, and then what do they say? What you need to do is turn the device off, wait 10 seconds, and turn it on. And you're thinking, oh, please, right? Certainly they've got some kind of magical words that they could say over your device and it would suddenly come to life and work correctly or there's some kind of keystroke you can do that'll make it work, but you know they're not gonna tell you anything else until you cut it off, wait 10 seconds, turn it back on, so you do it. And what happens? The stupid thing works, right? And you're thinking, I should have done that an hour ago, but I fought with this thing all this time. And in fact, you know, I wrote this lesson a couple weeks ago, and in the last 24 hours, I've had two devices lock up, and I've had to turn them off, wait 10 seconds, turn it back on, and guess what? It worked, okay? Why does it work? Because something resets in the middle of all that. How? I don't know, but there's a reset that takes place when we go through that little deal, right? And in some ways... We wish at the beginning of this new year, we've sort of closed out 2020, we could turn everything off across the face of the earth, wait 10 seconds, turn it all back on, and it would all be reset, right? We could go back to March of last year and everything would work like it did back then. But we know just flipping the calendar, whether you did that Thursday night or Friday morning and moved to a new year, all the things that we were dealing with last year didn't just suddenly magically go away and we don't have to deal with them anymore. They're still sort of there. We don't get that reset that we would like just by jumping into a new year, even though we really want that. So today we begin a new series of lessons that I'm thinking that I'm calling reset. But what I want us to think about is not just hoping things go back to normal, but instead allowing God to be at work in our lives so that we can be positioned to be the people that God wants us to be in this new year, so that our year and the, and the year for the people around us is better. What kind of character can we develop in ourselves, can God develop in us, that will help us make this year a better year? So I want us to look at several biblical characteristics and, and hopefully we can become the people that God wants us to be as we step into this new year. Now, in 2020, most of us had lots of reasons to complain, right? Now, some of them were big stuff. I mean, they were really hard things that people went through. Some of you dealt with sickness. Maybe you were sick. Maybe someone you love was really sick. Maybe you lost someone that, you're deeply, that you deeply cared about. And it was really important, very painful for you to walk through. Sometimes we were frustrated because of really mundane things, right? We're tired of wearing a mask, tired of walking in church and not being able to just shake hands with people, drink coffee, give somebody a hug. All these things that are just sort of a pain we got tired of. And if you're like me, you took at least one occasion and probably many to complain about that, right? Because we just got tired of it, okay? But what we all know is complaining about it did not make it any better. It didn't change a thing. And in fact, if we're not careful, if we sort of sort of live that life of complaining, get into that habit, it actually makes things worse 
because we get more negative. As we complain, we sort of notice the negative things and complain about them. It takes us in the wrong direction. So how do we overcome that? As we think about positioning ourselves to have the best year possible and allowing God to be at work in us, creating the right kind of character, what do we do that helps us overcome that tendency to complain when life isn't what we want it to be? Well, I think it's a simple word, and the word is contentment. Now, oftentimes we associate contentment with thankfulness. We talk about it in November, and we did a little bit. But I want us to think specifically about that today. And to get at that, I'd like us to look at a passage that we find in the book that we call 1 Timothy. Now, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. and Timothy was sort of a protege. Timothy looked to Paul as a mentor in both the Christian life and in ministry. So we've got these two letters from Paul written to Timothy that give general instruction, especially about what it means to minister in the name of Jesus. And in the first letter, very last chapter, chapter 6, Paul deals with the relationship between ministry and money. Okay? And he spends the first few verses saying, you know what? There are people out there who use their religion to get rich. And we think, wow, we thought that began with televangelists and, you know, send me some money and I'll put a blessing on you. Send me some money and I'll send you a prayer hanky. All that stuff that we've heard about and seen on TV, it turns out it did not begin in the last 50 years. It began going back to the first century. In fact, before that, in lots of ancient religions, the leaders of those religions sort of got rich off their religion and especially off of poor people giving money. And Paul says that is not the right way to do Christian ministry. Okay, And then he paints it in a little more positive way beginning in verse 6. So we're going to focus on five verses, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. This is what he says, what Paul says to Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great Gain. Now, there's a lot packed into a short verse there. Several important words. Paul is drawing a contrast. He said, you've got people out there who are trying to make a profit off of being religious. But I want to tell you the real profit, the real gain, the great gain, is combining two things. Godliness and contentment. Two important words. Okay, so godliness. That, that was a word that was used in a, in a very broad way in the ancient world, not just in Christian circles, but across the culture. And the basic meaning of the word is religion. Okay, the God part of your life. Uh, the fact that you're devoted to God. If you're a religious person, a godly person, this part of your life. Now, in our world, religion has gotten a little bit of a bad rap, hasn't it? Because people say, I want to be Christian, but I don't want to be religious. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean religion in terms of, I don't want empty ritual. I just don't want to sort of go through the motions and say I've been to church and it doesn't really affect me, but I just did my thing, checked it off. Well, if that's what religion is, it's a bad thing. But that's not the way Paul uses the word religion when he uses, or other New Testament writers, we see that word come up. What they mean is, like Paul says here, godliness, the fact that you're devoted to God, this part of your life that matters, all right? Don't use your religion, the fact that you follow God, to make you rich. Instead, combine your godliness, your religion, with contentment. 
Now again, this word can be translated in a number of ways. Sometimes it is contentment. Sometimes it's used to mean self-sufficiency. In other words, I provide for myself. Now, Paul doesn't use it that way very often. And in fact, what we see Paul saying, if you look across the broad sweep of what Paul taught, was not so much be dependent on yourself, though he certainly believed you should provide for yourself, but depend on God. Okay, Paul teaches God dependency. Paul teaches God provides for our basic needs. We are completely dependent on God. And here, I think he's saying we should be satisfied with the way that God provides for us. We should be content with the fact that God has given us what we need. Now, that's about money, but I think it's about a lot of areas of life. Okay, It's about talent. It's about family. It's about time. It's about church. It's about work. All these things God has provided. We say, okay, God's given me something and I'm going to be content. Not that I can't make life better. Not that I can't achieve, but and this, is the, this is the cards that God's dealt me. And I'm going to be content with that and use that to build my life. So Paul says, combine your devotion to God with your contentment with what God has given you, there's the real gain in life. There's a life that can be lived and be satisfied and can be used. This is the life that God wants you to have. Because of this, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world. What do we say? We say you can't take it with you. And it's true, right? That's what Paul's saying here. You can't take it with you. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. It's not about getting rich because in the end, everything that we have, we hold temporarily. Okay? Lots of people in this room have a house that's in your name or you and your spouse's name. And it feels like I own that house. That house is ours or that house is mine. Guess what? Still temporary. There's going to be a day when you're going to sell that house. Or there's going to be a day when your heirs sell that house. We can't take it with us. We hold everything we have, our houses, our cars, our clothes, all the things that seem so valuable that our kids are going to sell in a yard sale, all that stuff, okay? All of it we hold temporarily. And as much as we may put a lot of value on it, really and truly, Paul is telling us, and the stuff that matters is this. Are you living indoors? Do you have food to eat? Do you have clothes to wear? Because if you've got that, you've got what you need. And if we can find contentment in that, it's a far better life than spending that life trying to gain more and more. And that's where he goes next. Verse 9. We get two warnings here. One in verse 9, one in verse 10. Paul says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow. Just because we want some stuff. Well, the problem is we always want more stuff, right? We're never satisfied with the stuff we got. We want more stuff. We want what other people have. Paul says that can lead us to temptation because we always... We always think, well, I'll just get a little more. 
And then we want a little bit more after that, and a little bit more after that. We're never satisfied with what we have, and we are tempted to pursue that gain in ways that do not please God. And we get ourselves into trouble. It's a trap. Verse 10, which is often misquoted, but is very popular. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, sometimes that's quoted, money is the root of all evil, right? We hear that. Well, that's not what Paul says, is it? The love of money is a root of many kinds of evil. What he's getting at is, yeah, you can find evil in all kinds of places, all right? Money's not the only one. You can get in trouble in lots of different ways. People are very creative with that, right? But money is one way, and it's not just money itself. Like, money is just a thing, and you can spend money for really good things, and you can spend money for really destructive things. So it's just a tool. The problem is what Paul calls the love of money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, money really can get us in trouble because we love it more than the things that really matter. Paul says people even lose their faith over money. Well, how does that happen? Well, I love money so much. I love that feeling of security, of having money in the bank. I love the stuff that I can buy. It makes me happy. And I want just a little bit more. Because I think a little bit more will make me a little bit happier. Not many people say, you know what? I've got plenty of money. I don't need any more money. You don't hear the very rich saying that. It's just a little more would make me a little happier. And so we begin to cut corners. If it requires us to cheat people a little bit here and there, it's okay. If it requires me to borrow something permanently that's not mine, well, just a little bit. And before we know it, we've done these little bits of things that have gotten us in a lot of trouble and have led us away from our faith in God because something, the love of money, has taken over the place of the love of God. And we've lost out. I might put it this way. The desire for more leaves us empty. Because we always want more. And part of Paul's point is, it steals the things that matter the most. Our love for money can ruin our marriage, can destroy our parenting, can mess up our jobs, our position, our ministry, our reputation. The things that really matter, our relationship with God, can be lost because we're pursuing more. This desire for more leaves us empty of the things that matter the most. Because you see, we can always look around and see someone that has stuff that we want. They got a bigger, nicer house. They got a newer car. They got a better job, better boss, better spouse, better kids, better parents, better school, better body, better everything. And I just want what they have. And see, that's what contentment is designed to counter. That's why God calls us 
to contentment. And why Paul is saying, combine your religion, your godliness with contentment because the real gain is there. Our love for money leads to emptiness. Our love for God leads to fullness. Leads to the life that God intends us to live. So, how does that relate as we walk into 2021 and leave behind all the stuff that seems so unpleasant in 2020, at least it'd be nice if we could. How do we change our thinking so that we're pursuing contentment? I mean, as we look back on 2020, most of us could see some things that were pretty rotten, right? But as we all look back, can we also think of where's there some things, some moments, some experiences, some things that happened that were a blessing? Think back on that year. Yeah, there's some rotten stuff. Terrible stuff. But there were babies that were born. We saw baptisms. We saw people come to a relationship with Jesus. My guess is there were some blessings in your life. And if you name those, it leads to fullness. If we name all the stuff that was terrible, it's real, it's there, but it can lead us to emptiness. So that's the backward look, but what about the forward look? As we think about 2021, again, it's easier to focus on all the stuff that we wish we had. All the stuff that maybe somebody else has. But if we can instead take Paul's advice and combine our pursuit, our relationship, our godliness with contentment, what we find is God has provided, and God has provided in pretty amazing ways, and even though my life is not like that person's life or that person's life or that person's life, God's given me some good things. And what I can do is take those good things, and I don't have to just say, well, whatever, it just is what it is. But I can say, man, God's given me this. And I, or my spouse and I, or my kids and I, we can build some good things with this. And we can do some big things for God with this. You see, God has equipped you to do things that matter. And maybe it's prayer, and maybe it's encouraging, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's serving. I don't know. It's different for every one of us, different for every family. But if we can take our pursuit of God, our relationship with God, our godliness, and pair that with contentment and use what God has given, we can do big things as individuals, and we can do big things as a church. But if we're just focused on our desire for something we don't have, That leads to emptiness. That leads to a vacant life that is always pursuing more and it leads us away from God. So this year, as we hit the reset button, not so much on the whole world around us, but but on ourselves, what can you be thankful for? And not just thankfulness. What can you be content with 
and say, wow, God is blessed, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to do something with it. Because that's what God has called me to do. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for your blessings. And we just ask that you would help us, because we know we can't do all this on our own. We ask that you would help us to pursue contentment, to recognize that just wanting more always leads us to an empty place. But pursuing what you have already given us and using it for you and for the people we love leads to a full life. God, give us that full life this year. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.